Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 23, says, When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of your father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and, and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly, in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Catch this now. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Let's pray. Father, today as we open up your word to continue on in this service, to continue on through this series in Acts chapter 4, God, I pray that you would speak to us through your word. Speak to us through your text. Through your Holy Spirit, illuminate your word to us. We love you. We glorify you. Make us bold in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Amen. Hey, good morning. Welcome to church. It's good to see you today. Good to be with you today. If you haven't had the opportunity to join us live in person, um, boy, God is doing some incredible things and we're excited about it. Just added a, a brand new worship service. So uh, we're excited about that. But I'm also excited to be able to speak to you right here in this format as well. I missed you last week. I don't know if you missed me or not. Had my buddy, Pastor Jason from Church in the Wild join us and he did a great job speaking and talking about a, a valiant, bold proclamation of the gospel. And that's what this series is all about, Acts chapter 4. We've been walking through it all, um, all month long, valor. What it means to be a church that moves and works and, and uh, prays, as we're going to discuss today, with boldness. And when it, when it comes to being a church of valor, a church that moves with boldness, why is it, can I ask you this question, why is it that our prayers oftentimes seem to lack vigor, uh, engagement, and maybe you could even say power? Why is it that oftentimes the last thing we think about doing in a time of crisis or even, or even in a time of peace, the last thing that we think about doing oftentimes is, is praying, right? Like the last thing that we think about doing maybe in a pandemic is to engage the throne of God, the heart of God, the power of God. The question for us today really is, when did prayer become something that was reduced down to a simple, small sentiment that we engage in before a meal? What, what is it that the first church had? Acts chapter 4, the early church of Jesus. What was it that, that they had captured that we today seem to be missing? We're missing something, right? What is it that they had? I mean, look at what happened. I just read this. Look at what happened when they gathered together and corporately joined together in prayer. Look at this in, in verse 31. Look at what it says here. It says, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. <laughs> it was shaking. The early church prayed prayers. 
that not only shaped the world, but shook the very room they gathered in. Can we just take a moment to acknowledge this? That's, that's amazing. I mean, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. Today, in, in our culture and society, I hear the term uh, spiritual tossed around a lot. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like, I'm a spiritual person, and I think very deeply about things. I'm deeply spiritual. But for all this talk about being spiritual, the fact is, these first century Christians were deeply tied to not only the spiritual, but also the supernatural. Important distinction. Think about it. Their entire construct and upbringing was filled with stories of men and women of great faith who God used to accomplish great things in very supernatural ways. Think about Noah. Think about, think about Moses. Think about David, not to mention Jesus Christ himself. And here's what you have to understand. I don't think we, we get this sometimes. The people who were alive in the first church knew Jesus. I mean, like literally. Many of them literally had encounters with Jesus Christ. Many had met him, many had talked with him, been healed by him, even seen him after his resurrection from the dead. You don't think that would change the way that you would pray? It definitely would change the way that I would pray. I don't think it was what the early church said in their prayers that allowed them to pray with such boldness, but rather I think it was how they approached prayer that allowed them to pray with such boldness. Let me show, what I, show you what I mean. When it came to praying bold prayers, uh, the, the early church was there. The first church knew where they were stepping in prayer. Okay, understand that. When it came to praying bold prayers, the early church knew where they were stepping in prayer. Now, let me give you an example, kind of explain a little bit of context. John, one of the authors in Scripture... He authored uh, the book of Revelation, right? I'm going to read from that in a minute. He was one of the early church fathers, and he was praying alongside the church in this chapter, in this book, in this uh, the book, chapter 4 of Acts. He was praying alongside this church. Listen to his words in Revelation chapter 4. Okay, I'm going to read it to you. Look at this, starting in verse 2. It says this, John writes, At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper, carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning. Did you hear that? From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings, and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight, and the four living creatures, get this now, don't miss this, each of them with six wings, full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor 
And thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders would fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. Now, I just got to ask, if this guy, John, was your prayer leader, don't you think this would change how you went about praying? <laughs> of course it would. But here's what you have to understand, church. Nothing has changed to this day. We are still stepping into the same place that the early church was stepping into. The difference solely is our approach, the acknowledgement of where we are stepping. Now, the author John wrote these words describing the throne room of heaven. The book of Isaiah, as you can read, is, is filled with a similar account of the throne room as well. And, and the author of Isaiah said that as soon as he entered into the throne room, he fell to his knees and he said, Woe to me, for I am completely undone. Scripture tells us that we are to come boldly to the throne of God and to bring our prayers and petitions to his, thrones, to his throne, which means this. It means that when we pray, get this, don't miss me now, we are stepping into God's territory. When we pray, every time we pray, we are approaching the throne room and the throne of God itself. Now, let me just ask you, is that what you envision when you pray? This description of the throne, it's unreal. It's crazy, it's grandiose, it's magnificent, it's holy, it's set apart. Do we truly understand that the God of all creation bends his ear to hear us as we speak to him? Scripture tells us that we're to pray without ceasing and I believe that if we truly understood what was taking place every single time we pray, then we would indeed never cease to pray. We would just continue praying without ceasing. It's all about where we're stepping, the approach. I was thinking about this the other day. I got a couple kids. Uh, maybe you have some children as well. One of the things that my kids love to do is play with Legos. Now, Legos are fun. They're good. They clean up easy. You can just throw them in a bucket, put them away, whatever. The problem is, is Legos can, while they're great, they can also be a parent's worst nightmare. And any of you who have ever stepped on a Lego in the middle of the night in the dark, you know exactly what I'm talking about, okay? You know exactly what I'm talking about. Like, I, I, I have, man, I have walked into my children's room just to check on them in the middle of the night, you know, it's dark and everything, and I've stepped on Legos, and I've said words. I've said, I'm just gonna say, I've said words. <laughs> They're not good, it hurts. <laughs> Here's my point. What, you're like, what's your point here? Even and especially when you can't see what you know is there, your steps matter. Your steps matter. How you approach, how you step matters. And this is the same thing with our prayer life. I mean like this, when we pray, 
We need to be cognizant of this. We need to be cognizant of the throne room of God. We need to be cognizant of the elders laying down their crowns, the, 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 the angels surrounding the throne of God all day long, every single day, every hour of the day, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the thunder, the lightning, the, the grandiose scale of the throne room of God. Every time we pray, we should be cognizant of it. We need to practice the presence of God in our prayer life. Respect, honor, awe. All words that come to mind when we think about communing with the God of all creation. And this is what the early church did. The early church wasn't just cognizant of where they were stepping when they prayed. They were also mindful and filled with faith about what was taking place when they prayed. The first church knew what was happening every single time they prayed. Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 8, verse 26. He says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. What Spirit? The Holy Spirit. You start off the book of Acts with Jesus telling his disciples, hey, I'm going to leave. I'm going to leave you the Holy Spirit. And the Jesus in you is better than the Jesus beside you. Is in essence what he's saying. The Spirit is going to come. Fill you with power, fill your church with power. And Paul says in Romans 8, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Of God. Elsewhere in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, it says, For there is one God, there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ is that mediator. The Holy Spirit is inside of us, interceding, offering up words too deep for us to even understand. And in the moment that we bow our heads, the Spirit within us moves. Uh, offering up our prayers to Christ, who then mediates on our behalf, lobbies before the Father. And in fact, think of Jesus that way. You can think of Jesus as a lobbyist of sorts, uh, claiming his blood over our lives at all times. And then we see God, what? Respond. We bow our heads. We acknowledge uh, who we're speaking to, where we're stepping. And the moment that we bow our heads and begin to reverently pray to our God, the Holy Spirit reacts inside of us, offers our prayers as a fragrant offering to Jesus Christ. Jesus then intercedes, mediates rather, on our behalf to God the Father, and God responds. This is amazing! The early church was able to pray with such boldness because they understood this. And not only did they understand this, they believed it. And because the first church prayed with this understanding, this approach, they were able to pray with boldness. In fact, wherever you are right now, whether you're jogging, whether you're sitting, whether you're at work or you're at home, would you just say the word bold out loud right now? Say bold. Yeah, they were able to pray and be bold. They prayed with boldness. Oh, man, it's amazing. <laughs> and so what do, you, what do you do? What do they do with this bold approach to prayer? 
It's really funny. What, what did the church? They had it. They had the spirit working and moving. People understood where they were stepping, what they were, how they were approaching, and, and they were praying together, one heart, one soul, all together in community. And then when they prayed, what did they pray for? Look at this. In, in, in chapter 4, verse 29, it says, Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants. We're picking up mid-prayer of the church. So this is their prayer. Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. You know what the early church, the bold church prayed for? The early church didn't ask for more people to show up to church. The early church didn't ask for larger buildings to gather in for their church. The early church didn't pray for an increase in finances or prestige or clout or platform. No, the early church prayed that they would speak the gospel with more boldness. Do you catch that? The early church was so marked with the gospel that their desire was to see the gospel go forth and affect the entire world. They prayed in boldness for boldness. They prayed in boldness for boldness. I'm going to say that one more time because we need to let that sink in. The early church did not pray for stuff, did not pray for ease, did not pray for comfort. The early church prayed in boldness for more boldness. Let me ask you a quick question. Do you think there is something powerful in aligning our prayers with the heart of our Father? They had the heart of their father. They were praying prayers right specifically in the, in the bones of God. What is the heart of our father? Well, Second Peter tells us in chapter 3. It says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. And here's the prayer of our father. Here's the heart of our father, rather. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. All should reach repentance. God's desire, God's heart is for people to have Him be their God. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come and be saved through Jesus Christ. That is the heart of our Father. These early Christians, this early church, this first church, this book of Acts church, They were praying in the heart of their father. I believe that one of the reasons that the very space these men and women prayed and shook quite literally was because they were all of one heart and soul, all unified in prayer for what was the very essence of the father's heart. What is that? That all should know the gospel and be saved by the gospel. Not for selfish gain. Not to get into the local Jerusalem Gazette, but rather for the sake of the gospel. They gathered together and prayed bold prayers surrounding the gospel. Interesting how everything just continues to come back to the gospel, isn't it? Everything founded on the gospel, filled with the gospel, speaking the gospel, taking the gospel, praying because of the gospel for the gospel. I hope that you're starting to get a clear picture of what separated this church, this early church, this first church, from our church today. 
In week one, we talked about this fact that, that a healthy church is built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And when a church is built on a healthy foundation of Jesus Christ, it can't do anything but that which Jesus commanded it to do, which is to go and make disciples, go and take the gospel. I wonder, have we lost that in our churches today? I know I'm a little intense about this, but it's because it's so important. Have we lost the, the very essence of the gospel in our gatherings and our goings. Is the gospel important to us when we gather and worship? Is it? And you would say, yes, of course it is. Okay, take it out of that context. Is the gospel important to us when we're outside the walls of the church? And you would say, well, of course it is. But is it really? <laughs> Is it really, is it, is it making up the DNA of who we are and how we work and where we live and what we buy and where we go and what we don't do? See, all of it is affected by the gospel. And when we begin to, to really truly understand the heart of our Father, how He is for people who are far from Him, how He longs for them. Jesus said, or Scripture tells us in John chapter 3, the most famous verse of all time, God so loved the world that he sent his son. He so loves this world. And if God so loves this world that he would send his only son to die for it, shouldn't that fuel our prayers? Shouldn't that bring about a boldness in us to pray in boldness, to act in boldness? It should, but instead, we take the easy way out. We pray for easy things. We pray for a life of ease, a, a life of comfort. God, help me get that car. Help me get that house. Please take care of this problem. And I'm not saying this. God cares about all the details of your life. He cares about all the minute things. You can talk to him about anything. But also, God loves the world. <laughs> and the early church was praying bold prayers. The building is shaking. They're all unified. Why? Because they're praying the heart of the Father. Praying the heart of the Father. We're going to continue this conversation next week as we conclude this series, talking about bold community. I'm excited for it. I'm going to challenge you this week to do something. I'm going to, I'm going to challenge you today. Over the next couple days, until we gather together again next Sunday, I want you to pray, God, make me a bold follower of Christ. Make me a bold follower. I don't want to just be a follower of Christ. Make me a bold follower of Christ. Let that be your prayer. Meditate on those words. Think through those words. Think about where you're stepping, what's taking place around you. You're walking into the throne of God. And look at him and say, God, make me a bold follower of Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for its truth. Thank you for its hope and its peace and direction. Guide us, lead us, make us bold followers of Jesus Christ. In your name we pray.